Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Joanne White, and Power Your Life is about empowering you and giving you the tools and the strengths that you need for so many different areas. And today, the area that we are going to focus on is relationships. And think about your relationships. I know from my perspective, every relationship can be improved. And I think that that's what we're going to look at today, how to really create relationships that you feel importantly satisfied with that where the communication can be expanded with family or friends or partners and also to just feel more close and more connected with those people that you might feel distant with and yet you want to create more of a connection, more of a conversation. We have somebody today who's going to help you do just that, Edie Weinstein, is an MSW, LSW, and also a colorfully creative journalist, inspiring transformational speaker, a licensed social worker, an interfaith minister, editor, radio host, bliss coach, producer, cosmic concierge, and the author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, co-author of Embraced by the Divine, and contributing to so many anthologies and has also interviewed so many incredible people like Ram Das, Wayne Dyer, Miguel Ruiz, Marion Williamson, Shirley MacLaine, and the list goes on and on and on. And I love what she calls herself, which is an optimistic. Edie sees the world through the eyes of possibility. What a wonderful way to be. Hi, Edie. Welcome to Power Your Life. Thank you, Joanne. And and with all the energy that the two of us put out, I think we could power the uh, the, the country, <laughs> if not the world, with everything that we do. <laughs> so thank you, know, you I for think having me on the great. show. It's my pleasure. And you talked about energy. So so even in relationships, Edie, there needs to be kind of, some kind of synchronicity with energy, and you need to recognize what you're putting out in a relationship. So let's get first to what your definition is of intimacy. Many people think that, that it's a whole lot of things, but but how do you see it? How do you view it? Sure. Well, one of the things that, you know, you break down the words, the into me see, and intimacy can be scary. Most people that I know, most adults think of intimacy in terms of sex. And yeah, that's part of it. And Yet, sex is more than what goes on below the belly button, and sex is, is about more than get it on, get it up, get it in, get it off, get it out. Um, so if intimacy plays into that, then it's more fulfilling. 
So intimacy involves safety. It involves trust. If I'm going to let you get to know me, I've got to trust that you're not going to muck around in there and, and not, um, I mean, people have, you know, hurt happens. People are vulnerable. And when I'm willing to be intimate with someone, it's because I trust that they're not going to intentionally cause harm. Unintentionally, we feel when we do this dance of life with people, we sometimes step on each other's toes. But if we don't do it on purpose, then it's easier to do a graceful dance. So that to me is intimacy. Maybe dancing without intentionally stepping on someone's toes. You know, I think that's important because trust, like you said, trust is a bridge to so much else in a relationship, including the sexuality that you were talking about, Edie. And you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, if we intentionally decide not to ca- cause harm to somebody and and that's what we want to do in a relationship and, and, and be honest and be upfront and yet unintentionally stuff happens, life happens. So yep. that's important. Yep. How do we... You you know, your website is optimistical.com. What does that mean? What is that all about? And who? Absolutely. how do you define that stuff? Well, first of all, um, one of the things that I do, like, like probably a lot of your listeners, is that I'm aware that life is about way more than what we see with our eyes. And some of what I do is that I hear messages. And having been a psychiatric social worker for a lot of years, I do know the difference between literally between psychotic voices telling you to do harmful things and spiritual guidance. So either in a meditation or a dream, I heard the words, you're not just an optimist, you're an optimistic, O-P-T-I hyphen mystic who sees the world through the eyes of possibility. And I looked at that and I said, wow, um, you know, we can look at anything that happens in our lives as, oh my God, now what? Or, okay, now what? And I prefer the okay, now what? <laughs> because life gets dicey, <laughs> as you know, as your listeners know. So my website is opti-mystical.com. And um, what I find is that every day, if I look at life through the eyes of possibility, that even if something happens that I'm not real happy with, and yeah, that sometimes happens. <laughs> um, I'm not always little Mary Sunshine, although I used to pretend that I was. Um, I can look at it from a perspective of, all right, this is what's so in the moment, and I can fight what is kicking and screaming, but, you know, as Byron Katie says, when you argue with what is, you lose, but only 100% of the time. So I can argue with what is all I want, and I could say, okay, if this is so, what am I going to do about it? I'm an action-oriented person. I don't sit on my butt and wait for something to change. So for me, um, there's a balance between doing and being and allowing so I can seed plant for what I want, but then I have to, like everybody else, have to step back and allow it to unfold. That's harder for me than the action step, you know, the, the surrender part. Right. You know, I think that's not only hard for you. I think that's harder for everybody. Sometimes it's easier uh-huh. just to act, and, and there's a level of impatience for people. And that goes, you know, holds true for relationships as well. I mean, you mm-hmm. sometimes you have to hold back sometimes you have to be you know act and there's as you said earlier there's this little bit of a dance going on that we need to to connect with and be cognizant of at some point mm-hmm. in another conversation we'll talk about the voices and the communication because i think it's important many people cannot distinguish the difference between you know mm-hmm. what's 
really their inner guidance, and I have some horrific stories that somebody told me about that, but that's for a whole other time. And mm-hmm. and what's you know, and what is not real, and what's just coming from some you know crazy episode or whatever. But um, let's focus back on relationships. Why is mm-hmm. it that people are reticent to reveal? their true selves to like expose who they are to to somebody and yet they want to be intimate with that person i think it comes back to the idea that we look to other people to validate us if i feel that i'm a certain way if i look at myself from a certain perspective i want other people if it's a positive perspective i want other people to see that too so when when a child goes out into the world they go out there with baggage family baggage, ancestral baggage, what you're taught about yourself, what you, you know, what you're, how you're taught to express yourself. And if the messages that you get in childhood are you're not valuable, you're not enough, or you're too much. I'm actually writing an article now about um, the concept of HSP, highly sensitive people. And I don't know whether you've been told, you know, you're too sensitive or you're too emotional, but a lot of people are. So okay. we hold back. We're afraid. And I, when I say we, I mean me too. Um, afraid of how people will perceive us. We're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of not being loved. Um, We're afraid of being abandoned. And even people like me who grew up in a home where there was a lot of love, attention, affection, affirmation, no abuse. Um, I would say the only addiction in my family was workaholism, and that's a pretty big one. And I'll share a little bit more, more about how that impacted on my life negatively a little bit later in the show. But um, I went out into the world wanting to be everybody's sweetheart, wanting to be loved best of all, and I had the, the ability to read people, to know what they wanted and to give it to them before they even knew they wanted it. So that was how I assured, or at least I thought, I assured relationships. So I was um, little Mary Sunshine. I was um, you know, doing everything that I could to be all things to all people. And it wasn't until a few years ago that a dear friend said to me, I want you to show me your anger, not at me. She wanted me to be angry at her, but I wanted to, she wanted to know that I could express anger. That's the hardest emotion for me to express. And once I did that, she felt more comfortable with me because when we can show all of who we are to the people we love, whether they're family, friends, partners, coworkers, whoever it is, when we show all of who we are, then they get to know us. And my thought was, oh, my God, if people knew that I get sad, scared, jealous, angry, frustrated, um, they wouldn't love me anymore, and they'd run screaming. And in the last few years, I've done what I call peeling off the layers to reveal the real. Once I did that, not only did people not run away, but they were drawn to me because they thought, okay, if she can go through this, I can do it. You know, somebody who seems so confident has all of these icky, messy feelings then it's not so weird, <laughs> you know. The, the, you know. So right. I think that's you know, a lot I of it. I can't imagine anybody on this planet not going through something like whether, you know, in a moment, whether it's anger or, or even some form of jealousy or what, or you know, mm-hmm. just guessing themselves or or feeling yeah. a little bit inadequate or fearful about an experience. So I think that mm-hmm. that what you're describing about yourself is is universal in many ways and to be able to own up to that bravo because like you said it's you know it, it, people 
get very upset about whether they're going to be judged and therefore let's just put, and I think we learned that, put your best foot forward, you know, to mm-hmm. show everybody the shine and not what's behind it, the brine rather, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I think that yeah. that's important. Now, and why is it over, that, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. So I was going to say the best foot forward thing was sometimes the best foot forward is, you know, is barefoot. I mean, I'm barefoot right now, barefoot a lot of the time, but Sometimes, you know, best foot forward is what we think it's supposed to be, which are, you know, high heel pumps. And for me, the, cl- the closer I am to the ground, the better I feel. And, you know, so your best foot forward varies depending on who you are and how you live in the world. So you get right. to decide what your best foot looks like. So I'm sorry, guys, so I just wanted to jump in with No, that. that's okay. And I'm barefoot right now, too. That's my favorite <laughs> So who knows? We're both grounded and and really connected in a lot of ways. Now, many Mm -hmm. people, and I've noticed this from some, even some people in my life, many people are very uncomfortable with receiving, very uncomfortable even Mm -hmm. with saying. (laughs) I remember when I was teaching at Temple University and people were giving these presentations and I asked students to just receive and say thank you rather than, oh, I could have done it better. And that was the hardest thing for people to do. Why is that and how do we, how can we shift that? Well, first of all, we're told it's better to give than to receive. We're told don't be full of yourself. We're told don't be greedy. And very few people are taught the art of receiving. Um, I was one of those people. I mean, my parents never said any of those things, but somehow I internalized that belief that I was supposed to give because my parents were so, they modeled that for me. They were such givers. And what I learned is number one, you can't fill someone else's cup if yours is empty, that you can only give what you've got. Um, you know, the whole metaphor of putting, you know, if you're on an airplane, putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. Right even though it seems counterintuitive, put someone else's oxygen mask on if you're passed out on the floor from oxygen deprivation. And I lived for years in oxygen deprivation. Literally, I had asthma from the time I was four years old. Um, but emotionally missing, you know, having oxygen deprivation as well because I was so busy being a workaholic and taking care of everybody. So I came to realize, and I can't speak for anybody but myself, but for, my, for me... Um, being a giver to the extent that I'm not willing to receive makes me pretty damn arrogant because that means you need me, but I don't need you. Oh, no, you know. And even though I can talk a good game and say, doesn't it feel good to be able to give to somebody? I have a hard time receiving because it makes me vulnerable. That's part of that intimacy thing we were talking about, that when I'm in giving mode, I'm in charge. I get to decide how much I give, to whom, what I give, and for how long I give. When I'm in need of whatever it is, whether it's um, attention, time, love, affection, care, sex, whatever you want to, you know, food, um, I'm at the mercy of someone else's willingness to offer that if I ask for it. And there are times when I will only ask for what I know someone will say yes to. That's a pretty tricky mind thing that I do. <laughs> like, I don't want to be disappointed, so I'll only, I'll, you know, so I'll, again, use my ability to read people. Say, okay, what do I think that person's willing to give? So I'm only going to ask, you know, but I've learned to stretch a little bit beyond that. So I encourage people to do that as well, to not size people up, but to um, ask, what is it that I really want? And if that person's not able or willing to offer it, can I either provide it to myself 
or can I ask someone else? And be okay with the yes or the no, because that's what I teach too. I teach people about consent in, in a lot, and we can talk more about that with regard to intimacy as well, but asking for, for what you want and then being willing to receive it when it shows up. Um, in the last few months, I've gotten a lot better being able to receive. Now, for, for me as a woman, it's been harder to receive from men than from other women. I don't know why. I don't know where that's coming from, but that's been my growing edge is letting a man take care of me, letting a man do things for me rather than being so fiercely independent that I don't need nothing from nobody know how. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's easier to receive from women because they they get you differently. They get you, you know, mm-hmm. they understand because they're they're in that same woman's yeah. body or whatever. Maybe yeah. you know, maybe that's you mentioned vulnerability, and <clears throat> I say vulnerability with a capital V because that mm-hmm. that does, in my mind, keep people at bay and, and not being able to expose themselves or, or, or ask for things. What do we need to do? How can we shift? Because I think we're all, you know, we're all vulnerable. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want somebody to diss us in any way. We, you know, we want we want people to to like us, and at the same time, we have to be somewhat independent and recognize that we have to be who we have to be, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what? How can people shift that? Because I, you know, that's that's not something that that's just easily transcended. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, I think trust is a growing experience. That being vulnerable means standing there emotionally or physically naked. And one of the things that I've learned is that when I'm willing to be vulnerable, when I'm willing to say the Empress has no clothes, <laughs> to stand there naked. Um, you know, emotionally buck naked, um, then it gives other people permission, as I mentioned earlier, to do that too. And I've become safer when I've realized that I've got nothing to hide. For me, Facebook is a really good metaphor for that. I don't put anything on Facebook that I don't want the whole world to know because they will. And it's, you know, I'm, my son calls me a Facebook addict. I'm on it a lot, partly for you know, networking with people and, and sending out my articles. And I, and I write several articles a day, and it's a great venue to do that. So I've practiced the art of vulnerability. I've practiced having people understand that I am not always on, that I'm not always certain of, of where I'm going. And as I mentioned earlier, it gives other people permission to, to do that. So think about in your life, you have an image, you have a, uh, a persona, you know, Dr. Joanne White. So when Dr. Joanne White is done being Dr. Joanne White, um, um, what, you know, who is she if she were peeling off the layers? Well, one of the things that I had to peel off was just this incredibly wonderful relationship with my cat of almost 18 years, and she just recently died, and I, and I mm. never the grief and and you know everything that was the vulnerability you know some whatever it was was coming up in in many facets of my life and I had to own that and and be able to you know because I was looking at the different experiences of grief and just observing them and yet experiencing them simultaneously as I was going through mm-hmm. it and so you have to be, you know, from that perspective, I had to be able to, to share what was 
just swelling and welling up inside of me and and be open to that because it was so ever present in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loss will do that. Loss makes us vulnerable. I'm also a bereavement counselor and I've seen what happens in my own life. You know, my husband died when I was 40 in 1998. My parents both died, my dad in 2008, my mother in 2010, and I've lost friends since then and animals as well. And right. what I find is that death is the great equalizer, that there isn't anybody that has not or will not someday experience death. Um, when um, I, I came to realize when my husband was, was in the ICU that everybody is on loan to us and we are on loan to everyone else. And what developed from that is the idea that uh, everyone we now know and love will one day die or leave us or we will die or leave them. And it doesn't have to be morbid or maudlin. It's a fact. That's the reality. So what are we going to do with that? Are we going to suffer with it or are we going to cherish those people and animals that are with us, that are on loan to us, that are temporary inhabitants of our lives? So I live every day. And there are times when I get annoyed with people. You know, my son will tell you that he and I butt heads. He's 29 now and and we have – the kind of adult relationship now that I wish we could have had earlier because I raised him as a single parent from the time he was 11. And intimate relationships you know, are like, are like um, I don't know, like sand wearing away or, or the water wearing away sand. Or, you know, I can't think of a good metaphor for that, but they, you know, we bump up against each other in intimate relationships. And we have to decide whether we get polished by it or worn away by it. And in my intimate relationships, whether they're with lovers, friends, um, you know, my parents when they were alive, I've learned to cherish everybody. And I, and I tell people how I feel about them. I never, you know, when I was growing up, nobody left the house without them, I love you. You know, we were greeted with hugs and kisses. With my, I hug and kiss my friends all the time. I say I love you to my friends all the time because you never know. You know, a dear friend just lost somebody beloved in her life. And he died suddenly, and she didn't even know he had been ill. And she just found out yesterday that he had died. And there are all of these, oh, my God, I wish I had said, that comes up when somebody we love dies. So that's intimacy, too, is being willing to say, I love you, and you matter to me. So I encourage people to, to, you know, to do that. And you know what? I don't think it takes that much to do that, and I'm of the same belief. I like to say that to people that are around me, people that I care about, because I think it's important to know, for them to know how I feel. And and I I think that's also a way. uh, You're not just saying it; it, it's it's one of the ways to somebody else's heart too, because you're exposing Mm -hmm. you feel about that person. Okay, so bliss, mistress. (laughs) <laughs> I love the title. And let's just shift gears just for a moment here because I really want our listening audience, Edie, to, to understand what does it, firstly, how you, how you came up with this title and it's the title name. of a book. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, and what's behind it? Okay. Well, first of all, um, I imagine you know who Joseph Campbell was, um, you know, the power of myth, and he came up with the idea of people following their bliss, if you've you've ever heard that tagline. And um, I was teaching a workshop several years ago uh, called BYOB, Be Your Own Bliss, because when you follow your bliss, it's a a wonderful idea, but it's still following, for me, it was following something outside of me. So BYOB, Be Your Own Bliss. 
and I was teaching this workshop at a place called Mount Eden Retreat Center in um, Washington, New Jersey. And um, I decided that I was going to teach this workshop to enable people to live their own version of what bliss is. So on the way in, this woman says to me, oh, you're the bliss master. You're going to teach us how to live blissfully. And I thought, oh, that's a very cool idea, calling myself that. So afterwards, I called this man that I'd been in relationship with at the time. He says, and you know how you know, you know, even when you talk to someone on the phone, you could see the twinkle in their eye. He said, oh, no, not bliss master, bliss mistress. So we, we laughed about that. And he says, but... If you're going to call yourself that, you damn sure better be living it. So I want to hear every day how you're living your bliss. And for me, my writing is my bliss, my speaking, um, doing healing work, being with people, being with animals. Um, a lot of things are my bliss. So he started calling me Bliss Mistress. When I wrote my first book called The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, I thought, what can I do to give people a template for how to live blissfully and they fill it in themselves because I can't tell anybody what their bliss should be. It's an inside job. But I tell people it's what lights you up from the inside and makes you turn you into a human sparkler. So the book is a series of anecdotes, like chicken soup for the soul kind of stories, slice of life, my own experiences. And at the end of every chapter are these questions. They're, they're like bliss bites. And then at the end of the book are what I call bliss kisses, you know, like chocolate kisses. Um, that are <laughs> reminders for people. And this is, you know, and I encourage people to read the book while they're eating chocolate if that's, you know, if that's what they prefer. So At least organic. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, actually, one of the stories is called my, A Relationship with Chocolate, where I took a, a yoga class that included chocolate. Um, one of them <laughs> is, two of them, uh, so that was, and one of them uh, was about living orgasmically uh, because we, you know, talked about sex being about more than just body stuff. So if you're living an orgasmic life, that could be considered a blissful life. Two of the chapters were about the hospice journey my mother and I took before she died. And then another was somebody who uh, was an interview that I did with somebody pretty well known with the Dalai Lama. Um, I interviewed him in 2008 when he was in Philadelphia. So the, one of the chapters in the book was the interview that I did with His Holiness. And so that's what the book is about. And it's available on Amazon and, and um, uh, barnesandnoble.com. And again, The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. So that's where The Bliss Mistress is. Well, I love the idea from. behind it. I think your friend was right. Bliss Mistress works. Yes. <laughs> yes. Rather I than like the it. master. And it's kind of a double right. entendre. You know, the people, right. people look at that um, as, you know, they kind of raise their eyebrows at it. So it's kind of, it's, you know, kind of fun. Fun. That's fun too, right? Okay, so many people, let's focus a little bit on relationships again. Many people, as we, as, as we know, are afraid to venture out in terms of revealing who they are because they, they are afraid to get hurt. What would you say to those people who are really wanting to build their relationships, make their relationships more real, more authentic, more, you know, closer, and yet the fear of, of everything that you talked about, of rejection or whatever, is so present, so paramount that it keeps them at bay from getting what they want in a relationship. Right. Well, it takes attention, it takes mindfulness, and to remind yourself, and I do, everything that I'm sharing here is what I do myself. Um, I'm not a very surface person. I don't, you know, I, I, I do a lot of um, 
uh, introspection. And sometimes it's too much for some people. Like, okay, can't you just be on the surface? Can't you just be, you know? And I said, no, life would be boring. And I don't, I don't live a boring life. I live a really exciting life um, in that regard that I'm able to take a look at what's working, what's not working. So in my life, if I'm afraid of intimacy, it's because I want something from somebody that I think they can give me. And what I realize is that, um, yes, we are important in each other's lives and can receive whatever it is we think we want from someone else, but it has to be an inside job. I have to be so solid within myself that it doesn't matter. And it's a work in progress, but it doesn't matter if somebody else can give that to me. So when I'm afraid of rejection, it's because I've created this image of this other person as someone that can either provide me with what I want or deprive me of what I want. And in relationship, I do my best to go for the win. Um, You know, oftentimes when we're in conflict with people, it's because we think that they're so different from us or they're withholding things from us or they'll judge us or they'll hurt us. And in all of my relationships, I look for a win-win. How can we be of support to each other? How can we enhance each other's lives? Um, How can I, you know, how can I be your cheerleader? I have a lot of yay-sayers in my life and not a whole lot of naysayers. Um, so I think that's important too. If you have someone in your life where you're butting, with whom you're butting heads or who you see is, is withholding, can you ask yourself and then ask them, what is it that I want from this person? And what would happen if they gave it to me? What would happen if they didn't? Because we all have our, our core woundings. And when we're in relationship, and you know, we can look at romantic relationships as a model for this, Everybody, relationships are not 50-50. They're 100-100. 100% you, 100% the other person with all of your baggage, with all of your experiences that you bring to the table. And what I talk about is the idea that everybody has baggage, but it's a question of whether it's steamer trunk size or whether it's carry-on that you can fit you know, in, in the overhead compartment or under the seat in front of you. Um, and if you have two people with different size baggage, it makes it harder. You know, because if somebody's hauling around this, this steamer trunk and they want you to help carry it, it makes it harder. Um, so negotiate. It's, you know, it's all about negotiation and communication. You know, you talked about negotiation and communication. I think that's key, too. How do people make sure that their communication is on the up and up, that they're getting what they need in, in a dialogue or whatever, and that they're also responsive to somebody else's needs. I mean, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. It, 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 just in a conversation, because a lot of people sure. don't even know how to do that. Well, it, it has a lot to do with listening, because most people listen with the intent to find a, a response. It's like a tennis match or a volleyball game. When true listening, you know, I right now I'm, my eyes are closed as we're talking, because but nobody's nobody's in the room with me. It's just me. <laughs> you know, so if I was talking to somebody and we're having a conversation, eye contact is important. Body language is important. Um, thinking about what I want the outcome to be. There are times when I practice conversations in my head, especially the difficult ones. Like I know if I'm going to be talking to somebody who may disagree with me, I'll think, okay, what can I do so we both get the most out of this? Not I win and they lose or they win and I lose. How can I go for a win-win? And I practice the conversation, and sometimes it just amazes me that when we actually talk, the dialogue plays out almost word for word as I planned it in my head. And that could be one of two things, a combination. It could be 
you know, I was anticipating, and this, this could even be with people that I don't know. Um, I was anticipating it, or my psychic abilities heard it before, you know, with my psychic abilities heard it before it actually happened, or okay. I, what's the word, um, projected that, you know, that it was going to happen. Not that I made it happen or manipulated it, but like you do a role play. Like if you're a therapist and you have clients do a role play to practice it. I do role plays in my head all the time. So that helps. Then I'll ask somebody, you know, if I'm working with a client, what would you like the outcome to be? If you talk to your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, parent, child, coworker, what would you like the outcome to be? And I have them imagine it. You know, how can you both get the most out of this? So we practice that. Um, it's knowing that, again, nobody can deprive you of what really is yours. Um, so that helps. Um, the, you know, being willing to walk a mile on the other person's moccasins. What would it be like if you, you know, again, in a counseling or coaching position to say to a client, you know, what would it be like if you were them? You know, imagine living your life. I mean, there are times when I've had clients that were suicidal. And I would say to them, um, if, you, if I had the life that you did and I had the same experiences you did, I might feel exactly the way you do right now. So empathy is huge when you're talking to someone to be in empathy with them. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean you're taking on their pain, but you're acknowledging it because you can, you can imagine what it would be like to be them. So that, that's helpful as well. You know, I, I like that whole idea of empathy because oftentimes, especially with, with bullying so rampant and so many yeah. online and, and, and whatever, that people are not recognizing putting themselves in somebody else's shoes. So, that, so that's yeah. so important, whether it's a close relationship or, or a distant one. How would, some, how would you feel if somebody did that to you? And, and why right. not get a you know, get in touch with that because if you're not comfortable with it, somebody else isn't going to be either. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's really important. Speaking of relationships, what about the relationship with oneself? You've talked about that, that, that we need to see ourselves as, as important and, and, you know, what we do on an airplane, take care of ourselves. But many people as we both know, don't do that. And you and you said women, especially women, we've been trained that way. How mm-hmm. how can somebody shift that with all the training, with all with all the the indoctrination, we'll say, from their past, from families, from you know, religion or whatever, how can they get past that to really connect to their own vibrancy and put themselves first no matter what? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about no matter what. What? Well, it may feel like no matter what. Um, in my my experience, um, I can tell you what happens when you don't do that. First of all, um, in 2013, I had a series of health crises. Um, in November of 2013, I had shingles on the left side of my face, and I joked that it looked like a Klingon from from Star Trek. Um, with lesions and bumps and it was, it was horrible and my eye was swollen shut and like ice pick chisel pain in my left left side of my head and I thought okay I need to slow down I need to take care of this you know I went the medical route I took time off from work um, although I actually I'm a minister also and I officiated at my first official same-sex Delaware wedding of these two beautiful women 
um, with shing- and I had shingles. I drove down to Delaware from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, with circular bandages on my forehead. And after oh, making God. sure that both of them, you know, that you know, you know, were, we're okay, okay with that. that. I drove down there and I and I did the wedding. It was in their home, so it wasn't this big, you know, big deal. You know, like a, a um, you know, huge wedding. Um, so I did I did the wedding and then I drove back home and then I slept for two days. And I said, okay, you know, this is a wake up call. I've got to take care of myself. And I didn't. So six months, seven months later, um, I was on my way home from the gym after a normal whatever normal workout is, and I had a heart attack at 55 years old. Mm-hmm. Drove myself to the hospital, did not call 911. I don't ever advise that. And right. my friends and family had to tell me, you are not going back to work for two weeks. I don't care what the doctor says. You need to take two weeks off. My boss wouldn't even let me in the door. I was working as an addictions counselor at the time. So my self-care sucked. I was working 12 to 14-hour days at my counseling job, coming home and writing for several hours, sleeping five or six hours a night uh, for several years. And my body said, that's it, we're done, enough, <laughs> you know. So I did cardiac rehab, changed my diet, went on medications, took naps, stopped carrying people. Well, not stopped, but didn't, didn't do it as much because I used to practice what I called savior behavior, that it was my job to fix everybody, kiss all the boo-boos and make them better. And that's what I thought. And in our culture, um, you know, workaholism is the only addiction that's encouraged because it makes us look good, makes us look like we're not slackers, heaven forbid. So that was the second wake-up call. And I thought, okay, all better. Nuh-uh. A month later, kidney stones. So I used to say to my mom, who was the rock of the family, I said, you know what, mom, rocks crumble? Well, when I looked at the the metaphorical thingy with kidney stones, my rocks crumbled. (laughs) I I had gravel. (laughs) That's kind of what happened. Right. Um, and just when and, you I know, thought that was so all, it, you know, there's more. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was more. No, it's okay. It's uh, so true that when we don't pay attention to those messages, yeah. like, hey, you need to rest, you need to slow down, whatever, mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, I've had that same, those same kind, not, not those experiences, but similar experiences where something would happen, like a car accident, like, like an injury, yeah. whatever, that forces you to stop and to slow down. So it's so important to pay attention and and to take care of oneself. We mm-hmm. only have a few more minutes. What do you want our okay. listeners to say from your, your – I mean, we could go mm-hmm. on for hours. Oh, God, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, what I would like so, them to know, this is another thing that I did for good self-care. Um, I am a consummate hugger. Um, and um, this past weekend, um, on Saturday, October 15th, I was an organizer for an event called Hugs Across America with two friends out in California, and I'm in the Philadelphia area. So um, there were 20 cities throughout the country where people did free hugs. Are you familiar with that, where people stand on the street corner with signs and they hug strangers? Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? Okay, well, I do that here in my area. We call ourselves Hug Mobsters Armed with Love. So on Saturday, friends and I um, went to the Love Sculpture in Philadelphia by City Hall, and we hugged hundreds of people in a three-hour period. I had a, a friend come down from Canada to participate in it. Other local friends did it. And hugs are heart healthy. They bring people together. They create intimacy. Um, when you hug somebody, you don't know. I mean, I don't know what their political beliefs are, what their social beliefs are, what their religion is. It's just a way of connecting heart to heart to people. So imagine that all over the country, people were hugging each other. And imagine the, you know, the love juice that got spread around 
because people were, were just loving each other. And if people want to learn more about it, the website is hugsacrossamerica.info, and they can learn more. We don't see this as a one-and-done kind of thing. We want this to be out there in the world. And there's a YouTube video that's out there, too. I have a dear friend who is a um, uh, documentary filmmaker. Her name is Jennifer Stein, and she did this beautiful – she followed us around all day and did this beautiful, exquisite um, YouTube video. So if you look up Hugs Across America, Jennifer Stein, um, you'll see – these incredible two videos that she did for us. So I encourage Send me the link and I'll, and I'll, I'll post I it. I'll promote it because I think oh. it's so important. You know, Absolutely. we don't, we're, we're high tech. People are connecting with yep. friends in social media and, and that hug, that touch is so mm-hmm. important. As you said, it's a validation of you're okay. And, mm-hmm. and, I remember just real quickly because there were one woman who whom I touched and she started to cry because it was so long since someone hugged her and and imagine going around without without somebody touching you hugging you validating you in, in terms of touch so thank you for that because I mm-hmm. think it's so important. Oh, Edie, tell people how they hold of you, get your book, mm-hmm. find out more about wonderful. all of the wonderful stuff that you do and connect Aww. with you. Thank you. Well, again, my website is opti, O-P-T-I hyphen mystical.com. And there you'll, there you'll see the different workshops that I offer. I would love to, you know, I travel and teach. I'm, I'm happy to speak on pretty much any subject you can order off the menu. I'm a life coach, um, a cosmic concierge, which means I know how to connect to you. I'm a connector. Like the Six degrees of separation in my life, there are no degrees. I always know somebody. Um, and I, you know, I'm an interfaith minister. I officiate at weddings. Um, I'm a freelance, you know, I'm a writer for hire. I'm a freelance journalist, uh, you know, an editor. I edit a magazine and, I, and I've edited books. Uh, what else? The Hugs Across America is hugsacrossamerica.info. You can find me on Facebook. I write for The Huffington Post, Good Men Project, BeliefNet. Uh, what else? Um, Psych Central, Elephant Journal, a whole bunch of places. So my writing is out there in the world. And if you want to order the Bliss Mistress Guide to um, Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, um, you can, again, find it on Amazon or um, barnesandnoble.com. And I've loved this interview. It's been magical, and we could talk for hours. You know, we're, we're both chatty cats here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much because I think that you've enlightened our listeners, and oh. I feel that I feel a hug, even though you're not here in oh, person. Here it is. So I'm going to this incredible hug back that, that oh, hopefully you're going to get through the waves. And thanks so much mm-hmm. for being a wonderful oh, guest. Have a blessed day, Edie. Thank you. You too. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So think about what's going on with your relationships. Think about whether or not you need more intimacy. As Edie was talking about, she gave us some incredibly valuable tips that you can utilize. So remember that. And next week, October 26th, noon Eastern time, we're going to have two people, Anne Laura Davin being seen. It's really her own memoir that is incredibly touching and powerful. And I'm going to leave some of that to a surprise. And then Alka Dillon, and hopefully I pronounced her name right, who wrote this book that I have in my hands, The Ohm Factor, A Woman's Guide to Leader, A Woman's Spiritual Guide, excuse me, to Spiritual Leadership. That's next week. And if you missed any 
of this interview and listen to Edie, Missed Edie Weinstein, you can actually catch it again on Blog Talk Radio. Also go to my website, drjoannwhite.com, D-R-Joanne with an E, white.com. Find out some of the upcoming shows and find out how I can also be of service to you. Here's a hug. I love hugs across America. Remember that take some time to tell someone in your life how important they are because that's incredibly important. Have a blessed day wherever you are, and thanks for tuning in. And remember to empower yourself with with positivity, words, thoughts, and actions. Have a blessed day. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.